Hello, everybody, and welcome to another scintillating episode of the Development Hell Podcast, episode 91. Uh, Ed and I are recording this at a very unfamiliar time for us, at uh, one starting at 1.24 p.m. in the afternoon, because um, it is a holiday, not normally a holiday for me, it's Memorial Day as we record this, it should be a holiday for Ed. It's a holiday for me today because I was working... Uh, Last Monday, which was a holiday up in Canada, uh, Victoria Day, where we all thank um, Queen Victoria for inventing the uh, 2-4, which is what we uh, call a uh, case of beer with 24 bottles in it. So always the May 2-4 weekend, as we refer to it in uh, Ontario. So and I was able to swap because I was in um, Mountain View, California, visiting Mozilla's offices. And I'll talk a little bit about uh, what I did while I was there once we get into the podcast. So Mr. Finkler, how are you, sir? I think the police blotter can tell you what you did there <laughs> when you were in Mountain View. Um, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I am at my co-working studio. I have fashioned a makeshift recording booth from cubes of leftover foam. Uh, and it might be a little echoey on my end, but it is better than it was, believe me. Yeah, that's so, uh, that what, what's happens. the what's the mic you have in the cuz we're actually doing this on video this time which we normally don't do, but uh Oh yeah. That mic. What is that mic? That's the Blue Yeti. It has a Oh, it's uh, a big uh, foam uh it's the big foam windscreen yeah. thing on. All right, cool. Yeah, so it's a it's a pop screen. It's not quite as good as having one of those that hangs off of it. Right? But it's better than having nothing. So, yeah. You know, I was just thinking about the equipment here in my office because somebody was asking me what I use, and I realized I've had both the Blue Yeti and this Rode podcaster arm that it's attached to and these Sennheiser uh, headphones that I bought off of some shady dude on uh, Craigslist. Uh, I've had yep. these ever since we started the podcast, so that's you know, um, uh, at least five years or almost six years, I guess, five years, something Many, like that. many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 30, 35 years in uh, dog years, if we want to uh, to count that way. It's nope, a, that's a my understanding. Time. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Dog years are what we count most things in. <laughs> well, in tech, like I always joke, uh, the internet uh, one year is uh, like 10 so this is this is a, the equivalent of having fifty year old equipment, so it's going to be obsolete pretty soon. I don't even know what yeah, uh, right. I don't even know what mic I would go and get if I uh, if I didn't have the the Blue Yeti anymore because it's pretty damn good. I think I'd still get a Blue Yeti. I think for the money, it's hard to beat. For like a hundred bucks, it, it's just the best in the market by far. Uh, uh, for you best, you, yeah, best, U, yep, best USB uh, condenser mic that you can find. I'm sure some of our other fellow podcasters like to use fancier stuff, but I'm uh, I've been extremely happy oh, yeah. with uh, with the Yeti. All right, so before we get any further, let's uh, talk about sponsors. I'll talk about our two usual ones real quick. Uh, we all we always have uh, OSMI, which is Ed's efforts to uh, save lives by helping make people aware of mental health issues in the tech industry. And as always, we have Grumpy Learning, my own efforts on the side. I have a brand new book out called Test Driven Developers. If you're looking to boost up your skills for um, uh, for the people side of testing, I highly recommend you check out the book. You can find everything that I've done at grumpy-learning.com. And now, thank you to our wonderful uh, Patreon sponsors. We have two sponsor reads. So this is the part where I mute the mic and hope that uh, Ed makes it enjoyable. Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, so Ben Ramsey sent me a selection from Ozymandias that I have to read. Uh, so let's give this a shot because I've actually never read this and uh, need to now make it a uh, thing. All right. In Egypt's sandy silence all alone stands a gigantic leg which far off throws the only shadow that the desert knows. I am great Ozymandias, said, saith the stone. The king of kings, this mighty city shows the wonders of my hand. The city's gone, naught but the leg remaining to disclose the sight of this forgotten Babylon. We wonder, and some hunter may express wonder like ours, when through the wilderness where London stood, holding the wolf in chase, he, met, he meets some fragment huge and stops to guess what powerful but unrecorded race once dwelt in that annihilated place. Thank you, Ben, for making me read that, and thank you for picking something from the English language. And then uh, Chance Garcia uh, had a read, which, uh, stop laughing, Chris, this is serious stuff. But he had a, wanted us to talk a little bit about multiple sclerosis, uh, MS, 
as some many people call it, is an unpredictable, often disabling disease of the central nervous system that disrupts the flow of information within the brain and between the brain and body. The cause of MS is still unknown. But here's some common symptoms that you can learn, and this is from nationalmssociety.org, and you can look up the symptoms and diagnosis stuff there. Uh, some common symptoms are fatigue, walking difficulties, numbness or tingling, uh, vision problems, uh, bladder or bowel problems, which I don't know, that happens to me a lot, so I hope that's not it. Depression, uh, that's interesting. Uh, emotional changes are also can be a sign of MS. So those are some things to kind of keep an eye out for. And you can uh, get involved with the National MS Society at nationalmssociety.org slash get dash involved. That's with a capital G and a capital I. And we'll have that in the notes. But uh, nationalmssociety.org, all one word. Check that out. So, yeah, thanks so much to Chance and to Ben uh, and all of our Patreons. Uh, who are Patreon patrons uh, who have given us some kizash uh, to keep working on this. And frankly, this is way cooler than the uh, sponsor uh, stuff that we had to hunt down before. So this is lots more fun to have uh, reader or listeners themselves, readers, Jesus Christ, like I'm making a zine, to have listeners themselves uh, helping us out. So that's pretty cool. So I appreciate it. Yes, thanks very, uh, thanks yeah. very much to everyone that throws money our, our way to help us do the podcast. Contrary to what some people might think, um, you know, doing the podcast isn't free. Even if even if we set aside our time being free, there's still our costs, uh, editing costs, uh, and mm -hmm. has to put the stuff up someplace. Uh, we have to pay for bandwidth, so it's not completely yep. free. And again, every every little bit of money you throw our way um, is greatly appreciated. So yeah, it really does help. Yes. Out. So this time out, we have a few interesting uh, topics to go over. Um, for people who remember from the last time we got together, Ed had decided that uh, he was too cool for school to work for people and that he was going to go and start doing OSMI um, as his full-time thing. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about my experiences in Mountain View this past week uh, doing mentoring and traveling. And also, uh, we talked about this before we started recording, um, there's a reason I now have a Nexus uh, 6P uh, on my desk at home and I wanted to kind of talk about why I have one and a few thoughts on testing modern applications. So, uh, so Ed, how goes the OSMI stuff? I saw some updates uh, yesterday on your uh, 50K fundraiser that you've been uh, plowing through. You want to give us an update right. on where you're sitting on that? So a lot of it, so we're at about 40K right now. We're like just under 40K. Um, we have right now, as of today, we had scheduled six weeks for the, uh, for the, uh, fundraiser. And at this point, uh, we have about one week left. Um, we will see if we get to 50 K if we don't, that is an arbitrary limit. So we'll figure that out, you know? Um, but, uh, things are going well, uh, we are uh, doing good fundraising. We have signed on a couple uh, new partners uh, who have uh, generously donated and are part of our partner program, which is something for organizations to work with us, and we help them create a more supportive uh, workplace of mental wellness uh, and, and help them out uh, to, which, in order to improve productivity and uh, increase retention amongst their employees. Um, and uh, we've signed up uh, both GitHub uh, as a diamond partner and DigitalOcean as a silver partner. Uh, they, since the last time we talked, uh, they uh, both stepped up and did that. And so we've got some good names on there. So that's pretty good. And we're having conversations with other folks, too. Some names you've heard of, some names you haven't, maybe. But uh, all, all very interesting and, and cool to talk to. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities. You're probably going to see more of OSMI. Probably going to see more of uh, uh, you know us working with other organizations uh, and and reaching out to the developer community to uh, to help out with that. So that's where we are right now. And I should also mention uh, Cake DC, the Cake Development Corporation, uh, uh, which is a, a a PHP development group uh, coming from the folks who created the Cake PHP framework. Um, they have stepped up to be a patron. Um, which is an opportunity uh, that you have to basically 
pay for it's a it's like a you, if you give a recurring donation a monthly recurring donation you would be a patron of ours and and they're covering a salary a small salary for me uh which doesn't completely pay the bills but but uh does cover a significant amount and makes it a lot easier for me to uh dedicate time to osmi uh, so the Cake Development Corporation, who are folks who, again, do PHP development, you go to cakedc.com. Uh, they've been really cool, uh, stepped up, and have made a, a significant financial commitment uh, to that. And uh, there might be some interesting stuff coming at CakeFest, uh, which we'll, we're both going to be at in a couple weeks here. Uh, we'll be talking about some stuff there, so that'll be cool. Uh, but so far, so it's going pretty okay. It's uh, I'm I'm also doing some consulting uh, to help out with that and to pay the bills, and that's kind of where we are right now. Um, that, that's going okay. It's uh, I've it's basically I've just done one week of it, and so far uh, that's gone pretty well. Uh, I've been able to spend lots of time on it, and I lots of time on OSMI, uh, way 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 more than I would normally, and. Uh, almost, it's it's certainly taken up uh, you know forty hours a week, um, and then consulting is another you know other bit of time uh, on on top of that. So it's it's worked out really well. Um, yeah, yeah. So so far so good. Excellent. Now, it could be that I don't get paid, but I, you know. <laughs> That's a possibility well, too. Well, you know, hope not. if they're uh, if they're within an eight hour drive of where I live, I'm pretty sure we can uh, we can fix some of that. Uh, of course, a little known fact for the audience: uh, I was one of the very first Cake DC uh, employees way back in the day when the uh, I did not know that. Yes, when the company started, I was the Cake DC was my first 100 percent um, remote job, and. Uh, I think an interesting outcome of that is both uh, myself and Larry um, discovered that uh, maybe I wasn't quite ready for that type of remote work. Um, it didn't work out the oh, way yeah. that I wanted to, but uh, but it was interesting. Uh, like it was one of the very first like full one hundred percent. Don't ever have to show up in an office uh, anywhere. Jobs. It was very interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I was one of the first KTC. I, so I've known a lot of those people for a very very long time and i in fact i also helped to organize the very first cake fest that was down in orlando oh, really yeah it was down in orlando in 2000 i'd have to go look it up but my brain says 2007 2008 um in that right. t- in that time frame so a lot of the policies they have now were based on you uh they might be they might be although i suspect there are some other uh other people who have since moved on who are probably way more aggressive and probably have way more uh, <laughs> rules uh, written about them. I won't name any names, but I'll tell Ed afterwards when we stop recording. Name anyway. names. <laughs> Nate. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, so, yeah. So uh, I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah. So where were we? Oh, yeah. So, so Osmi stuff. So please, please, if you have the capabilities, please support um, uh, Ed's efforts. Uh, I just wish that my donations were uh, tax deductible. But because I'm yeah. in, but because I'm in a socialized medicine paradise, they are not. So uh, I help out. I, know, in, I help out in other ways by by those retweets adding immense uh, value to Ed's efforts. All right. So yeah. uh, yes, just another little bit of housekeeping to get out of the way. As Ed mentioned, both he and I will be at Cake Fest, uh, which is as we record this is next week. It's uh, the eighth through the eleventh of. June, two days of uh, tutorials, and then two days of um, two days of talks. Um, the interesting thing, I don't know if you noticed this, Ed, but our slots, mm. they've asked us to speak for only a half hour. So I have to take a talk that I recently did that I managed to extend out into an hour and chop a whole bunch of time out of it. So this should be oh. um, very, very interesting um, to see how that I'm goes. screwed. Well, you know, maybe uh, maybe they'll change it. But last I checked, it was a half hour. One of the interesting things they're also offering is you can get a ticket so you can participate in the training sessions online. You don't even have to be there in person. I believe it's... Uh, oh, that's cool. I think it's... Okay, we'll put the links down. I'm, I just don't want to say the number in case I'm wrong. But it seemed to me to be a like really super cheap... Uh, ticket and a great way to participate because they're going to be streaming everything and uh, making those talks, uh, making the training available. So if you can't travel to New York City, um, then uh, you know at least it's one way for you to uh, to participate. I'm going to be there a little bit earlier because I'm taking I'm doing a little bit of touristy stuff in both Philadelphia and uh, New York City before I come. Uh, so I'm, I hop in my car and which is 
all fixed now and no problems with it, and I'll be blasting down the interstate system down to Philadelphia to spend a couple of days hanging out with a longtime friend of mine who uh, who used to be in the same uh, simulation baseball league as me and I have not seen in person in a really, really long time. So I'm looking forward to spending some time with them and then uh, heading from Philadelphia up to New York where I'm going to attempt to drive into lower Manhattan and find a parking spot for my car while I stay at the hotel. So that should be an adventure in itself. Oh, yeah, that sounds exciting. Hang on a second. Somebody, my, my brother just just sent me a, a text message that says, do I want either of these? And I think one of the things he pointed was a Commodore 64. Let's, hang, let's take a look right now. All right. because This is I, important stuff. And he's it, it is. As we all know, Ed's addiction is, uh, is uh, old computers and consoles. Oh, it's a VIC-20. Woo! And a 15, yeah, yeah you got snap. You got to snap by that one, baby. Absolutely. All over it. As I've as I've talked before, uh, Commodore VIC twenty was the very first computer I ever owned, and uh, right, I spent many. You still run in twenty column mode, if I remember. (laughs) Yeah, I have that set at forty eight point fonts and uh, only twenty columns wide. It's uh, my unique programming style. It's funny, today I had a brief discussion with somebody on Twitter about like number of screens and stuff, right? And so a lot of people are multi-screens. Right. I saw people doing it at the office when I was at the Mozilla offices with like, some people had three monitors. And the funny thing that I found was I noticed they wasted so much time trying to figure out where the thing that they needed while they were talking to me, which which screen it was on. I've been like a one yeah. screen person um, forever uh, from my days of working just on a laptop and now I have a nice big Dell uh, 4K monitor that uh, Mozilla very generously bought for me and and these days I'm not even using virtual desktops I used to use a lot of virtual ones and put free, yeah. less frequently lose things on there just using one just using one desktop now now that I have so much real estate thanks to this monitor um, you know it, it's interesting uh, but yeah 20 the only there's there's only a few things like if I'm doing music stuff, I could see having a second screen and you can put some stuff over there. But I, I would I would not like commonly use a second screen, I don't think. Um, do you you run a clamshell mode usually, right? Correct. So you don't even yes. you don't have that like say smaller screen on the side. Nope. Yeah, I run it closed. Uh, oh, and also I wanted to also say when I was there in Mountain View, uh, I'm glad I listened to Ed's advice and got myself a roost, the stand, because it was absolutely perfect. Um, for a while, I, I traveled. I was able to like fit a week's worth of clothes, and and my uh, my travel bag has a separate pouch to put the laptop in, plus my Bluetooth keyboard, plus the roost stand, plus a whole bunch of cables and stuff. And uh, the roost was absolutely perfect um, for traveling. I'm glad that I'm glad that I picked one up. I just have to find something better for the to put my um, keyboard in because I actually managed to pop off one of the keys while it was shoved into uh, oh, shoved into, shoved into my bag but I found the key when I was taking everything out and I, and I popped it back into place so yeah, it worked out okay I haven't had is it just one of the Apple keyboards yeah it's an Apple uh, Apple Bluetooth Bluetooth key yeah I can't even remember yeah, I wanna, can't even remember how long just, I've had it but it's it's getting quite grotty and I did order I saw an Indiegogo with a cool kind of Bluetooth mechanical Keyboard, um, so I placed, oh, yeah. so I placed an order for that, and that should be showing up sometime in June, according to the uh, estimates from them, because they already started shipping stuff out, which is always a good sign. Nice, yeah. I uh, I carry around a keyboard, and I haven't had anything pop off yet. Every once in a while, the keyboard will turn on. Uh, it'll accidentally get the button press, which yeah, is not so good. Yeah, that's kind of what I had to turn mine off too, because at some point, like after I left the office and went back, the uh, the keyboard was still turned on and a bunch of keys got pressed with so all this gobbledygook got sprayed into IRC while I was moving stuff around um, oh, awesome. <laughs> at the hotel room. It's like this, uh, I was doing a private message to the person that I'm interning. It's just this long string of random characters. And I joked and said, that's my password. You better, I guess I better go and reset it. Um, mm-hmm. So get back to yeah, get back to all this talk about the roost and stuff. So this last week, um, I was out in Mountain View. I made a very rare visit to the Mountain View offices. I've been there one time before. Um, the reason I was out there is because it's intern season, and we have a, a very uh, wonderful young woman named Emily who uh, is uh, interning with us. And so uh, sh- uh, I have been assigned to be her mentor. And this, you know, this kind of goes back to when I helped the PHP mentoring stuff get going way, way back in the day. And this was, to me, this is one of the ways that I could give back to the open source community, just simply because you know I didn't have uh, the skills at the language level to like 
alter core or suggest patches and stuff like that. So it's very interesting. And the thing that was like super depressing about the whole thing <laughs> was that this this uh, super smart young lady wasn't even born when I started going to college uh, to study computers back in 1994. So she was like telling me, oh, my God, I wasn't even born yet. I'm like, oh, I feel so old. Um, Probably just time to kill yourself. Yeah, pretty much. It's almost time just to find a way to to cash out and and not have to work anymore. Um, It's a shame I sold my house already. Uh, Otherwise, I'd figure out a way (laughs) to live off the money from that. Do a reverse mortgage and just live off that. Um, There you go. So it's been interesting. I I always find mentoring people who are just beginning to learn a, a bunch of skills that I use every day and pretty much take for granted for me, it's always interesting because it forces me to, um, I know this is a really weird phrase, to remember the things that I've forgotten, the kind of the, the practices I've just internalized and do all the time without thinking. Yeah. So it's been interesting. Uh, part of uh, the major tasks that she's going to be doing uh, for the summer, she's here till August. So basically, you know, the rest of May, all of June, all of July, and then uh, she'll be presenting her little project, uh, plus whatever else we get her to do. Um, in August, but unfortunately, I won't be able to head back out to Mountain View because her presentation is happening on the day. Um, I'm actually moving like two days before that, so uh, I, I will be too busy getting set up in my new house then. Um, yeah, I dig you. So we're getting her to do a bunch of uh, UI automation using Firefox, of course, and uh, WebDriver and Selenium and a bunch of tools. So it'll be very interesting um, to see what she can come with. It's it's interesting. It's you can see the the lack of experience shows up in the troubleshooting parts. Whenever you're giving someone a problem and they're trying to figure out uh, how to solve it, I find that's where, of course, you know, actual work not not work experience, but actual experience working with the tools and and actual like learning how to do research for things really shines through. Where you know we give her a problem and say, okay, can you go figure this thing out and it was interesting that the questions were always focused at a really, um, really, really low level, like really, really deep into the process instead of mm-hmm. like where I tend to do um, outside in with the approach. I think in very general terms and then I start thinking at the general level, what are some of the specific things that I need to figure out in order to solve this problem? So she was going from right. a very, very deep level and me having to go mm-hmm. with her okay well we need to back out because you're you're worried it's like i've had these similar conversations with my oldest daughter when i've been helping her through problems with homework or other stuff it's like sometimes you know it, it's very dangerous to like you're you're focused on a word when you need to worry about the sentence you're focused on a sentence when you need to worry about the paragraph you're focused on the paragraph when you need to worry about the page so I'm, I've been working with her on like, let's always come up with what the generalized problem is first. And then we break that generalized problem down into more detailed ones. And then those other ones into even more detailed steps. And that way you have a very, you have a, a, a good plan of attack laid out in front of you. Because I mean, it, it's one thing to have like unlimited time to like fool around or, you know, unlimited in air quotes where you have a lot of time um, right. as, as an intern to, to, uh, to go through things and look for solutions to problems. Whereas opposed to sometimes when, you know, you're no longer an intern and, and you're getting paid a, a significant amount of money to solve problems for people, they're expecting results a lot quicker. So, you know, right. it, it's been interesting where I've, I've really sat back and we've done a, we did a lot of pair, uh, pair programming, problem solving. And I really resisted the urge to like, just, well, here, hold on, give me the keyboard. And I just type a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, and solve the problem for her. I have found it uh, both more rewarding and and good for me in in way of letting a little bit of control over someone who's doing stuff for you to let well, let them muddle through it a little bit. Don't always instantly point the solution uh, to them. Don't go in there and type because you think they're typing slow or you think their search is they're going way too securitous route. And it just I, I've been finding it fascinating. Um, going through that stuff. And now it'll be even more interesting because now that we're not in the same uh, physical location, everything we do is going to have to be either via text because, you know, we use IRC quite a bit at Mozilla, Mm -hmm. or we do have a video client. So I I find it, I find it very, very interesting. It should be interesting to see, like, uh, I've been trying to tell her, like, communication and clear communication is really important because, you know, I I said, when you're in person with somebody, uh, 
you know, body language and facial expressions and the ability to diagram things and and get stuff in real time changes how you can explain a problem to somebody. When the person isn't right. there or you can't actually see them or hear them uh, even uh, makes it really, really different. So, like, Ed, like, what have your experiences been like with the mentoring of people and, and you know, collaboration, uh, uh, those sort of things? Have you, have you found it's brought out good things, bad things? What are some of your takeaways from having done that sort of stuff? Um, I generally think it's really helpful. Um, there's... The, the key thing is to get the right toolings, particularly for doing this remotely. Um, there's some things that just work better than others. I really like Screen Hero. We use that a lot. Um, in fact, I was just using it in the consulting stuff where I was sort of being the newbie and getting shown around the code base. And, uh, and so we spent like an hour just going through some stuff. And that was really helpful. Uh, Screen Hero, of course, used, it's uh, now... You have to have a Slack account to use it, which is a little bit slightly of a bummer. But uh, Screen Hero was bought by Slack, I believe, and it's like somehow integrated into Slack at this point. Kind of, sort of. I'm kind of confused by it. Anyway, uh, it's uh, so I, I found it really helpful and rewarding to work with people uh, when I have had opportunities to to help them figure out problems and stuff like that. I think I also. Realize though, I think the biggest thing that I, that I take away from it is that I realize how many assumptions I make and how many things that I claim are sort of like obvious to me that I don't think about that are not. It's just that I've learned and now it, I don't have to think about, uh, the, uh, the, the real process. There's lots of, like if I was describing a process, there's often lots of steps I skip because I don't think about them. And if you're describing it to a somebody who really has no experience with it uh, or very little, then uh, it makes you work at that a lot. And I think it forces you to be, well, it forces you if you want to actually do a decent job to be empathetic to someone who doesn't have the same skill set you do. And I think that's a really, really good thing. So I think that's the biggest thing I get out of it is that it is often surprising and uh, revealing the assumptions that I make about the universality of knowledge <laughs> that are just completely inaccurate. Yeah, I mean, it was even like talking to, to Emily about like uh, even just installing tools uh, on the MacBook. And of course, I'm like, well, of course, you just would use Homebrew. But I'm, I'm thinking if you've never run across homebrew or any of those tools how would you yeah, what uh the hell does that mean? even know because when she said uh you know what's homebrew and i had to like for a fraction of a second i felt the eye roll coming and then i was like no 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 remember she doesn't know it's not her fault that she doesn't know it's just yeah, it's, she's just, 14 what just, are you just, 14 ed come on uh not 14. You don't, you don't get to go to Berkeley when you're 14. Um, not doing what she's she, Maybe doing. she's really smart. I don't no. Know. <laughs> uh, yeah, she is actually really smart, which, which hopefully means a bunch of stuff will be shortcutted, but then it also means she'll probably, she'll probably spiral and get into a death spiral for some things trying to, uh, uh, solve yeah. a problem. She'll go, go way too deep and, and try to use the previous strategies. Uh, interesting thing too, is I'm trying to teach her to like, uh, Make notes. Keep track of the stuff that you've been doing, so that you can go back yeah. and uh, afterwards. And she's right. like, because she's like, she's like, you have a notebook, and I'm like, yes. I said, you're, you're like, you write stuff down as you're working on. I'm like, I said, yes. My old tired brain functions uh, retains things better when I write them down. So because I do such meaningless typing all day long, I find my brain very rarely retains what I type. It, I said, because my handwriting is so terrible, I have to put effort into making my notes look legible. So I find I tend right. to re I tend to retain things way more uh, when I write it down. But, uh, you know, it's been a very interesting experience. I mean, uh, and also just uh, it's also just so weird because, uh, you know, coworkers were telling when we were having lunch and stuff. And uh, one of them was asking me, so how how were my book sales going? And she's like, you wrote a book? I'm like, uh, yeah, I've written like five. And she's like, oh, my God. I'm like it's not that big a deal, but again, that's just me. Wow. It's just me internalizing it. Yeah, okay, I wrote a whole bunch of books, and she went and like I said, well, go check out the page if you want to see it. And then she saw the stuff, and then she was like, looking at my blog. She's like, oh my god, you have all this stuff on your blog. I'm like, yeah, I've been blogging a super 
long time. I don't even remember what my oldest posts are, but it's just like, again, it's that whole thing of like taking for granted. I've done all this stuff and it's yeah, just, right. it's not that it's not, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, the correct phrase here. It's not that it's not an accomplishment, but I just, it's already done and it's in the past and I don't really think about it. I don't think about the past all that often. I think more about like the present and the future um, way more as I attempt, yeah. to, na- as I attempt yeah. to navigate all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's refreshing to see someone looking at what I've done. And then I realize, yes, I have been doing this almost 20 years. And yes, I've written a lot of words about stuff and there's books and there's blog posts and there's a bazillion um, conference talks and workshops that I've done. But you just, when you do it all the time, it's, it becomes normal and probably isn't normal, but it's become normal. Yep. I bet I, she understands how Webpack works, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, thankfully, I don't have to deal with Webpack at all. In, uh, <laughs> this is, I tell people this is the this is the upside to having shifted towards uh, QA and tool building. It's like I can pick exactly what I get get to work on and I don't have to worry about Gulp and Webpack and uh, and a bunch of other uh, stuff that, uh, yeah, cause I just test services. So I use Python and I write things in PyTest, and, uh, I talk to the developers and ask them, why does your API return a 200? Okay. And tells me that there's an error. Like we can fix these things. We can work on these and, and make them better. Um, but I did, uh, I know we were talking about this a little bit earlier, uh, too, before mm-hmm. about the note taking stuff, uh, because we're talking about screens and stuff. It's like, man, I just noticed how many of my coworkers have a bazillion tabs open and have like three or four screens. And I'm like, man, I got one screen and I know where everything is. And I was just amazed at, uh, amazed at how much time it seemed to take all my coworkers to find the thing that they were working on. Is it this window? Is it this window? Is it this terminal? No, it's in this screen, right. in this terminal. And what tab is it on? And I was like, I'm like, man, I could have already gotten a coffee and come back in the time that it took you to, to find this stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm a I'm a one screener myself. Yeah, no, Ed. I wonder if that's because you and I, having worked in the industry for roughly the same time frame, uh, you know, laptops were expensive and uh, monitors were expensive too. They were not cheap. So it's not like today where you know monitors are almost like a commodity thing where you can get pretty decent monitor for you know really cheap amount of money i mean uh, i mean i have the nice dell no. 4 i have a nice dell 4k one on my desk here but i could have gotten uh, a less expensive one um and they were like way cheaper but you know this one is so nice and everything's so crisp and even my wife uh who normally doesn't give two shits about anything computer related is like wow that's right. a that's a really nice monitor you've got there so she said i give two shits about this well no rarely she says nothing because usually she's just in my office and she's complaining about how it's i'm air quoting messy and disorganized yeah. and how that's do you get anything true. done and i'm like well you know yeah. that you know money shows up in my bank account regardless of how much dirt is on my desk so i mean there is uh there is something to be said for uh for not caring about the things uh not caring about things that are not actually obstacles to you getting your work done. Filthy animal. Well, I know Claire's, uh, Claire's yeah. joking that she wants at the new house, the office has, um, it's on the main floor and it's right off the, the, the front foyer when you come in and it has French doors or freedom doors as my American friends like to call them. And she's talking yep. about getting the, uh, getting them frosted so she doesn't have to see all the crap inside my office. So good idea. And I always That's say the same thing. Idea. I always say when she complains like, well, if you don't like how my office looks, don't come in here. Boom. And as you can imagine, Boom. as you can imagine, that goes over quite well. <laughs> that explains a lot about how, how home life is. Okay. Yes. 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 Well, in the new house, I'm sure it'll everything will be better. Well, hopefully you can, uh, you know, uh, get out of your, uh, you know, your little isolation tank and uh, come out and see me at the new place. Uh, a me hot, and Daredevil a hot come up there yeah, from our isolation yeah. tank. Come on, man. A hot tub and a pool and, uh, and you can go swimming. Yeah. It would be nice. And hang, out, and hang out with the wife and kids who like you, so it's always good. Lord knows why, but they like yeah. you. I don't know why. I don't know. I treat them like people with respect, feelings. <laughs> yeah, better than what I <laughs> so, better than yeah. what I do. So that's all right. It's, I just take them for granted. It's like, oh look, there's tax yeah. write-offs one, two, and three. And just walked into the door. This is good. <laughs> yep, nice. Like that. <sighs> So Why do you have a Nexus 6P on your desk? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things I, I always forget, um, 
that working for an uh, organization like Mozilla, that they have resources that they can use to get me things if I need something to do my job. For example, you probably find this funny, Ed. At the, at the offices, when I go there, they have vending machines, and the vending machines have technology in them. So I needed a new mouse because I was sick and tired of this super old uh, Logitech uh, wired mouse. So I walked by, and I'm like, oh, there's the vending machine. And it had... Uh, Bluetooth keyboards and magic mice. It even had a full laptop in it, and you just walk up with your badge and put your. You said you got a mat. You got a magic mic. A magic mouse. Oh, okay. One of the nice wire ones. You know where they where where they very uh, very uh, thoughtfully put the charging port on underneath it, so you can't actually use it while it's charging. Which is that's super helpful. But yeah, you have a vending you have a vending machine. You walk up and put your badge against it, and then you can punch in a number, and boom! Like I could even got I could have even gotten a full laptop out of it if I was looking to get a refresh, um, which I don't because I use my own. But but yeah, so I managed to get a, a new laptop. So part of it, too, is that one of the projects I'm starting to take over to do QA work for, because in this quarter, I have automated myself out of a lot of work for two of my other existing projects. So I have more time now to work on other things. So one of the things I am working on is the uh, push notification system that Mozilla runs called AutoPush. So, uh, so yeah, so it's like basically it's it's push notification stuff through Firefox, right? So you can you can write an app and say, I want to push a notification out, and we have a bunch of servers in the background taking care of it. So part of the testing I need to do is I needed an Android device, which I did not have. So I asked my coworkers who work on this stuff, because I have to test in Firefox um, on Android, the, the general release version, and the nightly release. And so I'm holding up so Ed can see it. So it's a little nice little Nexus. Do I have the right side up? Nope, no, I like that. It's a little Nexus. It's it's uh-huh. it's a previously enjoyed refurbished one, which is fine. But yeah, so so I can actually do my testing, and this is the interesting thing that I have found. The, the and your your little joke about Webpack uh, brought some of it home. So you know we have we create very interesting systems. Lots of people do, and so the testing gets more and more difficult beyond just. Uh, you know, unit tests. And then a few, you know, I write a bunch of tests for the API, verifying that all the expected calls work and stuff like that. So now I actually need a physical device to test notifications are working correctly. So I actually have to like turn on the phone and go into... uh, uh, and go into uh, Firefox and make sure, you know, I have it pointing, I have the push notification server URL looking at... uh, um, staging and looking at production and then after like actually we had to write some web pages that we go and load and when we refresh the web page it uses JavaScript and runs through a whole bunch of push notification tests to make sure that stuff works and um, right. that stuff I mean I guess I'm still not uh, jaded enough by technology to look at it and think this is actually kind of interesting that we have to go for this particular technology because it's not easily automated like for example I, could, I saw recently that um, at the Google I.O. Uh, and now, you know, the, the conference that they just had, I guess it was last week or the week before, um, they announced some changes to Android Studio, which is like the development environment that Google provides you if you're building Android apps. Uh, you know, there are emulators and there is automation, but I look at some of that stuff and think that, yeah, we're still missing some glue uh, to glue these things together. So I could do stuff like, because one of the developers who works on AutoPush, who, who, uh, uh, who I sat next to uh, when I was in the Mountain View offices, uh, yeah, I'm saying, oh, no, they did all their testing um, in uh, Android Studio with an emulator. So instead of getting an actual physical device, and I'm like, yeah, how is that to automate? Right. And he just laughed and said, automation? What's that? Um, being super sarcastic. So it's interesting as, as we as we no, get No, he it, actually didn't know what automation was. No, no, of course he does. He was just joking, being, uh, no, being sarcastic. No. He said, no, they had no easy way to automate that. So serious. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, I did a talk a number of years ago at ZenCon where I talked about the state of front-end testing tools for PHP. Because at the time, all we really had that was good to use was you had to use Behat and you had to use Mink. Uh, you needed to have WebDriver installed, the WebDriver libraries installed somewhere, and a browser that you could run. It could be anything. It could be Safari. It could be Firefox. It didn't matter. And I talked about how those tools were at the time, and still to a certain extent, quite brittle, uh, not easy to use. And yeah, now we're even having to you know, jump across 
the chasm, the air gap from software to hardware where, where I actually need a phone, I need a physical device. And even that is not, uh, you know, even that is not possible to automate. I would love it if I could fire, turn on the phone and run something on the phone that would do all the testing that I have to do manually. And I know that uh, my two of my coworkers who deal a lot with the push notifications and some other stuff where they need to test on Android are talking about wanting uh, wanting to come to my uh, new palatial estate and do a work week where we're going to work through a whole bunch of automation stuff and see how far we can get in things like using Android Studio and trying to figure out are there ways we can script things to put onto onto phones to, to, to automate the testing for us. So, like, I mean, I don't know how much you've ever dealt with that stuff, but Ed, what's, like, you know, what's your impression of where we're at in terms of tools for testing hardware and tools for doing front-end stuff? Because, you know, the back-end stuff, unit testing and integration testing, for pretty much any language out there that's used by more than, like, two or three developers, all those tools are in place, and, and they're actually quite easy to use mm. these days. My impression is that it sucks ass. Um, they're, particularly with, like, a... There just isn't when it comes to like, let's say testing applications, not websites, but applications. Websites are easier to automate, um, but application stuff is really hard to automate because you have to essentially uh, script or automate the UI for the the system UI. And that is really, really hard. Um, I still think um, a lot of, I also think still that a lot of testing tools for UI stuff, um, even on the web, isn't particularly very good. There's a there's a, a browser called Fake. It was made by the guy who did Fluid App. Um, and it lets you graphically build like um, series of commands. Um, and that was like the best motif I felt like I'd ever seen for building testing for for user interfaces. Um, and of course, nobody has followed that. And as far as I can tell, you still need to write code to pretend to be a human being and trigger, you know, basically trigger events and stuff like that. And I felt like it, it just made a ton more sense. To do what uh, what it was the what what the approach in fake was, which was you could um, you just like clicked on stuff and it recorded it and stuff. And I think there's some ability maybe in Selenium to do some of that, but fake seemed like it was a lot like a lot better. Now this was I don't know probably five years ago when I looked at it. Um, my impression still is that it hasn't gotten a lot better. Um, that UI testing is still primarily something that is done by writing code. And I don't actually think that that's probably how you should do it because there's just a huge mismatch between code and how human beings actually interact with tools. So I think it's much, it would be much better to have, to write things that, that take what you do and automate that process. Um, like take the actual the actions that you take, record it, and like record it like a macro, and then play that, and that's your test, right? Um, and there's still things that are kind of hard to test to, like uh, is the thing in the right position? Like, I mean, it's not impossible to test, but it's a pain in the ass to do it. And like, what if it's like, how do you tell if it's like three pixels off? Like, I mean, so there's still things you have to look at and you, you get screenshots of or things like that, like the browser stack engines or things like that. Now, I remember, though, when I was looking at um, when I was doing WebOS stuff, there's this company that did mobile testing and would they you could actually pay and it would automate like tapping on the phone to like do do application interactions. Um and they had like real devices set up with like, I think they had some kind of port that was like pulling the display automatically. Um, so it wasn't like a camera on top of it. It was actually like a, uh, it was like somehow interface. So it got the actual video out, like the digital version of the video out. But I mean, that was relying on a big, you know, a company to do that kind of stuff. It wasn't, you know, that wasn't something you could realistically build yourself. And it was kind of a Rube Goldberg device, you know, to build to, to build something of that nature. But I still think that, 
I just think UI testing is is way harder than it should be, and I think that it really needs to be um, not code oriented, but it needs to be um, basically graphically and and interface oriented. It needs to be oriented towards actual user actions and recording those kinds of things. Um, so that's kind of my take on it. I don't think I think particularly with testing on different kinds of hardware, it's it's just hard. It's hard to automate that, and and those things aren't built in. I mean, and and you know there might be a few things like that, but people they just don't build like hooks into the, the system that lets you do that on your own device. Well, partly because it would probably be a massive security hole too, right? I mean. Apple would never do that because if, if you allowed users to just flip that ability on, well, they would get tricked into doing it. Um, Android, uh, you probably could do something like that or, or, or fake that into there, run some Android open source project that maybe could maybe could do that testing, you know. But yeah, that's the pro- the problem with it is that anything if you like automate the entire operating system, uh, then you could basically let anybody do anything if they tricked you into turning it on. Um, which would be kind of a gigantic disaster. But it's also the case that having those kind of mocking and testing tools is just really important because otherwise there's just there's no way you can rely on it. The biggest thing I remember when, from using an emulator, um, we ran um, the WebOS stuff initially because it used WebKit. You could actually test it with Firefox, not Firefox, with um, Safari. Safari. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was how we tested that initially. Did development actually in Safari, and then later we got uh, VirtualBox images, uh, and so we ran VirtualBox images of WebOS. Um, and the experience you have is that those things were both like orders of magnitude faster than the actual phones. And because of that, that um, meant that you were getting a very, very poor representation of what it was actually like to interact with it. And the performance was way off. Now, what I remember was a bigger issue early in Android development, and this is maybe has changed, is that it would, because they use primarily ARM processors in those phones, uh, and you're running it presumably on an x86 desktop. You, it's a real emulator. It's not just a virtual machine that is, you know, where you just have, you know, you're taking the show, the the API calls from the OS and just remapping them or something like that. Uh, it actually has to do real processor emulation, uh, and in which case it was a lot slower, if I remember. Like if you ran an Android emulator, it would be a lot slower. Now that probably has changed to some extent. I would imagine. I, I would hope that that's gotten a lot better than the times when I tried it, like seven or eight years ago, and it was like, it was terrible. It was just really terrible to run. It was incredibly slow, much slower than the phones, um, because again, they had to emulate the processor on it, um, and it just wasn't designed to do that. So, uh, so I don't know what it's like now on Android, uh, but what I do know is that. Boy, yeah, there's just not good there's not good solutions for that. I do wish for web testing, I really wish that though that people would focus more on creating graphical solutions. I just think that that's a be- that's the way to do it. I think it's a better way to do it. And uh, you know, I just think that's how testing should be done on when you're testing user interfaces. Uh, you don't write code because that's not how human beings interact with it. And so it's never going to be like that. It's it's it just doesn't work, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, you could see <clears throat> I'm trying to think now what I was going to say. So two things. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that's interesting now is that uh all the major browsers are now starting to have support for WebDriver, which is what Selenium uses, mm-hmm. built right in, available on a port that's always listening. I remember when that feature was first available in Firefox, it was in the nightly versions first and it was um it was optional, you know, you had to deliberately turn it on. And now I think all pretty much every browser uh, now supports that. So these tools are starting to get better. They're starting to be listening for 
browser automation tools to talk to them. So, I mean, you do raise a really good point. Well, yeah, the, the focus almost needs to be changed, but the question is, ideally, if you'd want something graphical driving a browser or something else that transpiles down into something that the browser can, can work with, that kind of seems to be the next place that we need to figure out. How do we do these tests right. a lot easier? How do we do these replays? How do we uh, easily share the replays between uh, people? How can, and more importantly for you know places like um, Mozilla on the scale that we're doing stuff with testing of the browser, how do we automate that? How do we make it repeatable? How do we make it so that it's, it's not flaky? One of the things I added to the note, and I'm going to find the link uh, notes, I found a link for it, was this reminded me of, there's a gentleman named David Nolan uh, who's based out of New York City, and he does a lot of work with ClojureScript, which is writing JavaScript in Clojure, and it's actually a Clojure implementation of React. Um, and one mm. of the more interesting things about it is that much like Clojure itself, um, things are immutable, uh, data structures, variables, all that stuff. And the interesting side effect is that because everything is immutable, if you're using ClojureScript, you generate a DOM It'll be the same way every single time. So he mm. did an interesting blog post, which I'm going to dig up, and, and I believe it was two or three of them. I add to the notes where he showed how you could do UI testing without needing the browser, because you always knew that if you use Closure Script and you use these features and you built the DOM in a specific way, it would always that the actual output that you could search through and look for things was always the same. So it meant that you didn't have to worry about what happens if something is three pixels over that you didn't need to worry about trying to map a graphical uh, representation of what you're trying to test and translating that into commands that you could then get the browser to run for you. You could do all this testing without actually needing the browser. And I thought that was super, super interesting. And I hadn't looked at that in a long time, but I'm gonna dig up the, the blog post for that because that, that sounds like an approach that maybe we need to start thinking about. Like maybe there is a way that we can test the UI. I mean, I know that everyone was going on and on about how now there's a, a headless version of Chrome available now, which mm-hmm. which uh, you know helps the Phantom JS and and other folks who are wanting to script things. I don't believe there's a headless version of Firefox. Um, if there is one, I would have heard about it by now. I would think. Um, but yeah, just it seems the pace at which. Um, things grow on the testing the stuff that we see in the browser side of things is advancing at a much slower and even more uneven rate than we see for server side testing. You even look at look even look at PHP. I was talking to somebody about this. I mean, for the longest time, I was literally the only person telling people you need to test your code. PHP unit exists. Here's what we can do to make your, you know, so you can unit test your PHP code. And now that that's kind of like that where it went as the base level was, nobody knows how to do anything. And now the base level is most developers are aware that PHP unit exists. So now people can put efforts into not having to invent testing tools. Now we're finding things that um, supplement them. I saw a test, I'm going to add a, a link to it too, about snapshot testing where we can run a bunch of tests. Um, and take a snapshot of the output, and to speed up the uh, speed up the process, we can check if the snapshot still matches. Where it'll generate a snapshot and compare it in an attempt to kind of speed things up a little bit. So mm-hmm. it's like the the base layer of testing tools for the unit side of things and the server side is just so much more well established and easier to extend than uh, than what we see for UI testing. Because you're right, it is a nightmare. It's very difficult to script them in a non-flaky way. And it's interesting when people talk about um, the robots are coming and the automation is coming for a lot of jobs. And I look at some stuff that that's going on online today and I'm like, there will have to be some major paradigm shifts in the tools that humans use for robots to take over writing code and creating applications and making things that humans can, can use um, easily. So. Not that I'm overly no, yeah. not that I'm overly worried about me being automated out of a job because most computer programmers can tell you for the most part for this sort of thing computers aren't ready to take over all these tests because anything that a human needs to interact with can't be completely uh, automated yeah some things are going to go away for sure we already see the trend 
more and more places going with um, self-serve kiosks instead of ca- and, you know instead of cashiers at places. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, much to the dismay of many people, uh, you know, autonomous uh, long haul trucks. They're coming. They're already testing them. Oh yeah. There'll be a whole bunch of people who who are going to be out of a job for no fault of their own. Because believe me, I had an uncle who did long haul trucking for a number of years, and that is a tough job. It is not easy to sit in a truck for long periods of time and drive and have your attention always be where it needs to be. You know, that's a tough, tough job. And then all the all the businesses associated with that industry, they're all gonna take a big hit. Roadside, uh, you know, truck stops, restaurants, gas stations, things like that. There's a huge amount of change coming that I think most people haven't given more than a nanosecond of thought as to how it's going to impact them. People don't realize how interconnected the modern economy is and how many jobs rely and how many decent and good paying jobs rely on other jobs still existing. And if those jobs go away, you know, all bets are off as to uh, as to predicting the future. So I, I don't I, I don't worry sure. about what I don't worry about what I do being automated, uh, that me being erased by uh, a smart set of shell scripts. Because well, I will probably have a hand in creating those smart set of shell scripts that eventually replace me. But I still see that as a long way off. But you know, these browser automation tools, yeah, I don't know how to tell people. I, I, I wouldn't be too worried as a computer programmer. I would not be worried about your job going away. Even in the next decade, I think you're still, even the most optimistic thing would say, I would think at minimum, we've got a decade before anyone really has to wear that. I just worry about people who interact with technology who are not the ones building them. Those people might be in trouble. And and, yeah. and society, I just, I mean, we can talk about this on a philosophical level. I just don't think uh, um, society is ready for a bunch of people, uh, like, like we're not talking like, you know, like it is in the U.S. right now, with you know uh, six to you know five to six percent unofficial employment. It's probably closer to ten if you include all the people who have just stopped working or, or can't work. I don't think society is ready for twenty-five to thirty percent of the population just literally not having anything to do, and no one's given any thought uh, to what's going to happen um, in, in a society like that. What needs to happen so that it just doesn't tear itself apart. I mean, I'm sure we could do a. Yeah. I'm sure we could do a series of podcasts where you and I discuss the heavy philosophical things behind what happens with sufficient levels of automation in society. So I do think about it as an older dude staring at retirement, not really that far away. If I want to be honest, twenty years from now, mm-hmm. I'll be, I'll, twenty years from now, I'll be done. So um, you know, I do think about that stuff. But I, I would like to think, I would like to think what I'm doing is not completely. Uh, automatable but you know something could happen all it takes is a paradigm shift and uh, you know and then I'm uh, and then I'm roaming around the local dump looking for uh, looking for things to salvage and sell to uh, to Skynet you never know yeah Skynet pays the best prices for my uh, salvage of old robot parts yeah man those uh, you know they like to have those uh, all those old uh, all the old uh, computer parts the old tubes and and uh what the hell is the fluid that's inside all these capacitors and stuff that is terrible for people if it gets spilt on them um oops uh pcbs yeah uh, pcbs that stuff being inside mm. there yeah is not good well i i know i just brought the whole podcast down to a downer it's really man come on <laughs> so and on that note yeah so anything else uh we want to talk about i think we covered everything i think we think we're in good shape man i, I feel like we uh, really nailed it here <laughs> no, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we have some other things to talk about. So uh, I guess this has been yet another exciting episode of the Development Hell Podcast. I will not subject Ed to reading uh, from Ozymandias and uh, Chase's stuff, so uh, we'll provide links uh, to that stuff. I'm, I'm, I'll look for the longer version because this is a much longer poem. Uh, that Ben mm-hmm. sort of thing. So uh, on that note, yes, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, please visit our Patreon page at pra- patreon.com forward slash devhell. There are several different uh, levels at which you can at which you can contribute. You can just give us a dollar a dollar per episode if you like what you're what you're doing. Two dollars or more entitles you to get an email read on the air, and nobody's taking us up on that. And fifteen dollars an episode or more entitles you to make Ed's life uh, more difficult by submitting things for him to read in the form of the sponsorship yep. read. 
Uh, so you can find every single episode we've ever done up at devhell.info. What happens is we record this. I send my stuff to, I send my half of the recording to Ed via Dropbox. Ed throws it into some advanced technology and basically filters out all the stupid background noise at my house because my office is right next to the goddamn furnace. Um, mm-hmm. then, then I come up with a snappy title and I do up the show notes and Ed always uh, finds a, a, a funny graphic to go with it. And then we put it up via Simplecast to make it available to you. Uh, we always have mm-hmm. show notes. Every single episode we've ever done is available for you to listen to at any time you want via the website. We're also available on iTunes. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please let us know uh, by rating it. Let us know things you like. Let us know things you don't like. Um, we do actually care. We do actually want to do uh, a good, entertaining, yet relevant podcast. I think over 91 episodes, we've done an excellent job of that. You can find us on Twitter at dev underscore hell. Uh, a couple months ago, I, I got Ed to give me the password again I have actually stored it somewhere so I can actually use the Ooh, Twitter good. I can actually use the Dev Hell Twitter account again uh, so you should be able to notice when it's Ed tweeting and when it's me tweeting so you can find me on Grumpy Programmer without the U you can find Ed as Funkatron with the U thanks so much for joining us and we'll be talking to you soon good night internet